The Incomparable t-shirts are back. You have to order by December 3rd, 2017. They should arrive in the U.S. in time for Christmas. Choose from Skeletor, the TPK Dragon, the Robot, the Random Trek Spaceship, the classic Incomparable Zeppelin, and there's also a defocused shirt. Go to theincomparable.com slash shirt for more details. The Incomparable, number 381, November 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we're going to pick up a thread that we we dropped about a year, a little bit more than a year ago, where... Um, here's the story. We did an episode back when we thought we would only do 30 episodes of The Incomparable and call it a day. We did an episode about all of Joss Whedon's TV output for his entire <laughs> career in, in 60 minutes. That was hilarious. And uh, then I decided, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, basically my favorite show of all time. Perhaps we should uh, dive in a little deeper. We covered season one a little more than a year ago. And now we're back to talk about season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This may take you back if you watched it when it originally aired in 1997 and 1998. Yes, this show was airing 20 years ago. Season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 20 oh my God. years ago. The mid-season excitement with Kendra the Vampire Slayer. Exactly 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, sorry, I crumbled into dust there and blew away on the wind. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are here now to talk about season two basically the my favorite season of my favorite tv show but you know it's fine uh joining me to talk about this it is a spectacularly large and good panel and i will introduce them now in no particular order it's in their order as they appear in my skype window monty ashley hello <laughs> hello jason i watched these episodes from january 9 to january 23rd 2002 that's right. For people who don't know, Monty watched uh, the entirety of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and blogged it, and those blog archives from 15 years ago, still available. So Monty knows what Monty thought back in 2002. Gene McDonald's also here. Hello. Hi, Jason. Yes, I'm excited. And uh, season two is when I first started watching Buffy, you know, regularly on the WB, on my little TV that was like maybe 19-inch uh, thing with a with a VCR included in it. And uh, I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I was very happy I did. I think a lot of people may have started with season two because season one just kind of was, it was short and it was in the spring. And and then there was some word of mouth. There was some buzz going on about, oh, that's actually a pretty good show. And then people found it in season two, I think. That's my theory. Steve Lutz is also here. Hi, Steve. Hello, Jason. Uh, I watched Buffy season two for the first time from November 7th to November 12th, 2017. What? (laughs) (laughs) Crammed it all in over the course of a few short days, and uh, then we took a week off, and now I remember none of it. So this should be fun. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there are episodes that I hadn't seen in 20 years, so we'll compare our notes about... By the way, uh, tonight, any of you who want to test who's got the biggest wrinklies around here, you step on up, all right? Is that a spike line? (laughs) There's a uh, yes. It's totally a spike. It's, it's, it's spike. Yeah. It sounds like spike. And and that's his actual accent because James Marsters is from Modesto, not England. Yeah. Uh, shocker for those who are not English <laughs> that he is not actually English. Aline Sims is here. Hello. Jason, I want you to track someone down on the net. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Would you do some s- surfing? 
She's asking me to teach the computer class while she's gone. <laughs> Quinn Rose is also here. Hello. Hello. While we're sharing, I saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time, I think, in the summer of 2009 when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and it's been my favorite TV show ever since. Trying not to do the math. Trying not to do the math. John McCoy <laughs> is it. also here. Hi. I, I watched Buffy in real time starting halfway through season one. So I'm one of the oldsters here. And I have to say, being here is a moment of pure happiness. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So that means evil John will wake up later and <laughs> kill a possibly prostitute but not entirely clear in an alley so that's bad for her but uh but that's later that'll happen later that's fine will we get some exciting flashbacks with john's old accent (laughs) yes when john was was a fake irish in the old country oh my gosh for only about a hundred years in 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 my case it's fake scottish i am a mccoy (laughs) okay that, that works too flashback fake scottish accents <laughs> wait that was a fake irish accent he had in that episode no no david no, boreanaz is he worked with a dialect coach for that boreanaz <laughs> is a fine old irish name <laughs> i remember back in the old country with all that beautiful pine furniture oh, that i that they smashed up and tried to spike the vampires with oh you don't say so buffy season one totally flew under the radar and then and people like me saw it and 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 perked up and sort of said well wait a second this ridiculous show is actually very good so season two comes along and it gets a full season order and they come up with a a story arc and so in buffy season two we get uh we get some new characters uh spike and drusilla james marsters and juliet landau uh james marsters basically with the franchise so good that his sort of not intended to be there long-term character uh remained there for the entire run of this show and its spinoff uh, and Juliet Landau as the very peculiar <laughs> very peculiar Drusilla and of course David Boreanaz Buffy's uh, tortured soul uh, you know uh, vampire uh, angel uh, gets a chance to be much more interesting as oh, yes. the the peak villain, the big bad of season two, when he loses his soul due to a, a night of passion with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And but wait, uh, I thought that irritating evil. little boy was the big bad. Oh, the, going on here? the annoying one? <laughs> that's a wonderful <laughs> moment of the writers being like, yeah, that's not going to work. The kid from the Sunships commercials is not going to be our big bad. Let's just kill him quickly. Did he even, I can't even remember, did he even do anything useful in the first season or was he just no. there for, to he, be killed he in was the there to be. Season? He was there to be threatening and menacing for the future and then they're like, nah, forget. They replaced that. him with the judge and you saw what happened to him. <laughs> I really like the judge, actually, although then we're getting ahead of ourselves, I suppose. I, I like that blue blue man, and also that allows, allows the guy who, who played Luke in the uh, original pilot of, of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer to come back uh, uh, oh, is that as, him? as a different made-up monster, basically. Yeah, he's the black oil from the X-Files. He's from the pilot of Buffy. He's the same guy. I was pleased to see him, because I missed the season one episode, and I was going to say how disappointing it was that he didn't survive the very... F- first two episodes of that season because he's he's an imposing looking dude so i'm glad to see they brought him back for a bit yeah sure it's brian thompson he he plays all those parts that are 
bad guys who get killed really quick, basically. <laughs> but I like him in, in in heavy, like weird monster makeup. That's that's the thing. So um, a challenge of how to talk about an entire season. I think maybe talk about the characters a little bit and then some of the like key episodes. And if people want, want to single out individual episodes, that's great. Um, let us start with some of the new characters. I mentioned Spike and Drusilla. Um, I remember reading an article in probably like Entertainment Weekly there where they said, "Ooh, new vampires are coming on the scene to be the villains. It's Spike and Drusilla, and they're they're like punk rock vampires." And, which is like that is, <laughs> is Spike in a nutshell, as he's meant to be punk rock vampire. Um, and I, in watching it back, I am reminded again of how they are. Uh, kind of fascinating characters in that Spike starts out as the punk rock vampire and Drusilla is his weakened, bizarre, confused, crazy girlfriend. And then midway through the season, that gets inverted and Spike goes in a wheelchair and Drusilla's got power and now she's sort of in charge. Um, and that allows Spike to really kind of get with the funny dialogue and the cutting remarks, even though he's like totally faking after a while. Um, and in the end, they leave town, but they totally come back because Spike is too good to to be missed. Um, so what did everybody think about uh, Spike and Drusilla? <laughs> I love Spike. I, I will just go on the record now. I don't know why. <laughs> he's not my type. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, I just, I think uh, throughout the watching of Buffy, I just kind of went with, you know, the Buffy sensibility, which was that he, he grew on me a lot. But seeing him in the first that first appearance in School Hard, I just thought, oh, he's just another really scary vampire. I mean, very scary. Um, and uh, Drusilla is quite ditzy and uh, weak and childlike. And that's a little troubling. Um, but yeah, I, li- I like them both. Um, and I was thinking this time watching it, paying a little more attention to Drusilla, because I don't think I realized when I watched it the first time that she was the daughter of Martin Landau mm-hmm. and Barbara, Barbara Bain. Yep. Um, and that is like, you know, TV royalty in a nutshell. And I think uh, she was very good. And I could I could see both um, both of her parents like, you know, features in her acting this time. Rewatching these episodes this year, I was so much happier to see Drusilla than Spike, because I know what Spike does. I Spike kept doing it, like you said, all the way into Angel. Yeah. He's going to sit around, he's going to say funny things and not take things seriously, and he's great. But Drusilla is so weird. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. By becoming, she has a line where on the page it just says this is so disappointing and her read starts with something like this is so disappointing and then she throws in and i love that especially because we see flashbacks where you learn she's always talked like that Uh uh-huh even when she was mortal Mm -hmm. some people like angel got rid of their silly old-timey Irish accent. Her? (laughs) Nope. Just leaned into it and got weirder and weirder. And I really like that about her. It's like she fell out of a Tim Burton movie or something. It's, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've seen her in anything else. And I don't know that I would like her in anything else because she's now, um typecast in my brain as Drusilla. Like, I, I just cannot imagine her doing anything other than drusilla at this point in time because i've just seen her and buffy so much at this point 
she was actually in Ed Wood, so I think that might be oh, she why was. she got cast in as Drusilla. Is like, yeah, she was uh, in the Tim Burton movie. Let's let's have her do that. Let's have her be a Tim Burton character again. And and her father played a famous vampire. Of course, you mentioned that Spike uh, is the punk rock vampire. He's he's really when he shows up, he's really basically playing Billy Idol. Billy Idol. And (laughs) and what's, what's fascinating to me about that is this is 97. So he's playing a a type that by this time point is about 10 years out of date. And, and, and yet uh, Spike is so good. He's, he's just, he's just so, he's just so fun and, and, and wonderful that you, you kind of go with it. And then later when they fill in his backstory, it makes sense that Spike as a, a romantic poet would just kind of glom onto the most glamorous, uh, angst ridden, uh, persona he could. And, uh, it, it makes, it makes sense, but, but it, it, it struck me at the time watching it, like, this is really, uh, he, I mean, I know vampires are supposed to be hundreds of years of old, old, but this was so self-consciously out of time. I assume his datedness is at least somewhat deliberate because there's a very early episode in season one where Buffy's able to pick out a vampire at the bronze based on the fact that he's wearing clothes that are like 15, 20 years out of style because they uh, live underground and they don't keep up with fashion trends. So there may be some of that there. I don't know. Who would want to keep up with the fashion trends in this world? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Wait, you don't like the Willow Clown outfits? Uh, oh boy, the Oshkosh Bagosh for adults. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, in my mental map of Buffy, Willow's first season clothing is the low point, and then they've realized that they need to dress Allison Hannigan better. Nope, <laughs> nope, yeah, no. nope. In season two, she is wearing some so just so weird. And I pointed this out to my wife, and she's like, "Well, you know, they're trying to make her seem like a like a super nerd, but it's like her clothing. It's like a crime against Alice no. and Hannigan. The stuff that they make Willow Even the wear. Nerds would pummel her. Oh my in, god, in that dress. They gave her leather pants eventually. Well, eventually, yeah, not this season. <laughs> yeah, I think Spike is unusual for me in that. Um, He's capable of delivering some of these quippy lines in a way that makes it seem natural as opposed to horribly stilted, but still sort of funny, which is what I get from Xander and some of the other characters. Mm. Um, maybe it's just the accent, but uh, <laughs> but there are some some quite a few fewer clunkers this year, I feel like, in terms of the quippiness than there was <sighs> in first season. Uh, where they were very self-consciously trying to make everything sound young and hip and failed mm-hmm. fairly miserably at it in a lot of it. Um, but I, I think Spike in particular comes off well from that from that perspective because somehow he just comes off sounding like he means it. I also find that watching Spike so interesting in this season because like we've talked about, he stays on for so long eventually and his character changes so much. And like when they initially brought him in, they obviously didn't intend for that. Um, but you can, even in the way that James Marshers plays this character, you can almost see the seeds of that already. And you can see the seeds of like his obsession with Buffy. And even though they didn't necessarily attend, intend that from the beginning, when you go back and watch it again, it still makes sense to me, um, which is 
probably a non-intentional but somehow perfect way to play the character. The, the moment where he gets, uh, there's that mid-season finale at the end of What's My Line Part 2 where he, the uh, the building gets kind of collapsed and he and he is weakened, but Drusilla in this, in this uh, ritual is strengthened. And that's that moment where Spike goes from being a funny, entertaining, but kind of stock bad guy. But when he's in the wheelchair and he's just, an angel is bad. And all he can do is is like try to cut Angel with his words and sit there and comment on what's happening. I, I I mean I could argue he may be that character may be the perfect vehicle for the sort of Joss Whedon I'm going to undercut what story I'm telling with quips kind of approach and it's so good and that's that moment where Spike becomes something more as a character is when when he's put in that in that position of uh you know where he can't be the bad guy and instead he has to all he can do is roll his eyes at the other bad guys and that his trench coat barely even looks cool in the wheelchair and that (laughs) that was doing a lot of the acting in the first couple of episodes absolutely there's one line where spike says um it's a big rock can't wait to tell my friends none of them ever rock this big and i quote that all the time and it's the most obscure reference but every time i see a big rock i can't help but say that and everyone thinks i've lost my mind well, none of that have a rock this big i think david boreanaz as evil angel or angelus and it's always bothered me that they give him a whole different name for being evil yeah latin um, it's latin it's more evil in latin sure he's right on the edge of be- that you can't really take him seriously because he's acting so big and shouting and being evil and saying things like, I'm, oh, sorry, the line is, yeah, baby, I'm back, <laughs> is how they introduce him. And having somebody else around to puncture the pompousness of those mm-hmm. scenes really right. helps. Absolutely. Otherwise, we'd have to do it as the audience. But Evil Angel is so much more fun than Wounded Puppy Angel. Oh, my yeah, God. Well, sure. I agree. But the other thing that Spike undercuts is... I mean, his his first major act is killing off the annoying one, and what his role <laughs> in this uh, in, in the in the series is is he's an anarchic force that challenges all these preconceptions we have that magic has rules and that evil has to observe these rituals and that uh, and that anything that's foretold must necessarily come true. He's, he says, screw all that. I'm going to come in and, and just throw a monkey wrench and everything. And I, and, and there, and if there was one thing that bugged me about watching this season through, it was the number of times that people took it as read that some prophecy that they had, they had read or seen foretold must necessarily be true. Uh, especially since, we get that mid season judge finale. Um, it, it seems to me like they, they would know by now that maybe there are ways to work around these things, or perhaps people ha- have ulterior motives for the prophecies they make. I've never understood the rules of magic in Buffy at all. <laughs> they talk about souls a lot, but I don't think they ever really settled on what a soul is. Whatever is convenient, you know. Spike doesn't have a soul in this season, but he's not out trying to destroy the universe the way it's just assumed angel will so this is the thing that i love about about spike at the end of the season right is that this is why spike is not angel is spike basically goes to buffy right in the in the final uh two episodes and says i would like to side with you she punches him in the face a little bit and then he's like (laughs) look 
Um, let's talk. I just want to leave with Drew. You can solve with this angel thing. I don't want the world to end. I like the right. world. It's kind of fun. We're out of here because Angel is moving in on my girl. And and that's that moment where I like I love this guy because he <laughs> he is a bad guy, but like he doesn't he 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 doesn't want he just wants to have fun. He doesn't want to set off the end of the world or any of this crap, and he will do anything including ally with his enemy in order to just sort of steal away with his girlfriend and right. and stop having the moves put on her by uh the mega megalomaniacal angel who is yeah who wants to destroy the world because i i, I guess why not somebody has right to let me just it. kill this guy yeah <clears throat> no the uh he and he actually says uh that that uh angel is outside of the norm in that because uh at least from his perspective all of the stomping around wanting to destroy the world stuff is just so much bravado and most vampires presumably don't want to destroy the world, but then somebody shows up with a vision. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like those guys. Yeah. But Drusilla definitely does want to destroy the world. And that's like, well, she's to nuts. She's cray cray. <laughs> <laughs> that's the main thing about her character. Is she cray cray? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think like what, um, I mean, you, you see her as a, uh, a very devout, you know, a girl, when she first meets Angel and that that kind of that's kind of an apocalyptic, you know, vision of like a a a better place to go to than the world that we're, you know, the mundane uh, existence we have now. I don't know. But anyway, she's certainly it, Angel's not the only one. Who's... I always thought that Drew Drew wanted to see the end of the world because she thought it might be interesting looking like th- that's her, she, her curiosity. Yeah. is right. like, ooh, end of yeah. the world. That might be nice. <laughs> like, OK, Drew's got defined motivations of being a complete Looney Tune, whereas Angel <laughs> We're, we're asked to believe as soon as you don't have a soul, this is what you're like. Yeah. Which I, I think is weird because we also meet a demon in his backstory who presumably doesn't have a soul and is fine. Hey, speaking of new characters, there's a new 35-year-old Xander with shorter hair. <laughs> now that he doesn't have his long hair, he's he seems somewhat less of a knob, but he also looks Ugh. like he's he's about ready for his AARP card. It's yeah, really well, her, him, 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 him and Cordelia, the problem when you cast high school actors is that they, <laughs> they look plausibly 20 when they're 25 in the first season, but by season three, it's like 90210, by season three, they all look 40, because they are all, all are 40, and then what do you do? <laughs> but that's a big change from season one to season two, yeah, that's true. Uh, Xander underwear. Char- Charisma Carpenter already looked like she was much more mature and, and much older yeah. than the others. I mean, she's basically 30 playing But Xander, 16? something about that haircut, man. Suddenly hmm. he's... And, and maybe it's that he's playing it a little less knobbly, too. He is. Uh, in the first episode of this season, there is my least favorite Xander line in the whole series, in which someone spells out B-I-T-C-H in oh, yeah. front of him, and he uh, says Bitka. Bitka. And I hated that the first time I saw it. I hate it now. <laughs> yeah. How dumb is this character supposed to be mm-hmm. that he thinks somebody just spelled out Bitka? Yeah, the the saying dumb things and then changing your mind after you've gotten half of it out thing was really tired midway through season one. They finally stopped doing it in season one with Buffy saying vampires or something, you know, oh, I should go out and kill the vampire. I mean, I should go out. But they do it in season two a fair amount as well. It's just in, more infrequent, I think. But yeah, that is that is irritating. Well, Xander gets a real upgrade in the Halloween episode 
where they like make him the soldier yes. guy and then after that i love the halloween episode right? i love it i, I do too knows about soldier things I, I think it's great and then sometimes and, and then what, what's nice it, i mean it's not super consistent but like it gives xander some authority so that when later they need to like break into the generic military base at sunnydale and steal a rocket launcher <laughs> like he has some uh he, he has like knowledge and is useful and that that right. is that's very helpful to xander as a character i think xander works well way better as somebody who is um the in in the title Somewhat competent at something well, i was gonna say the <laughs> zeppo where he is like not tr- <laughs> he, he which is next season not treated as capable but is capable as opposed to just kind of being incapable jason i can't believe you see that as an upgrade because that's one of the major parts of this season that drives me nuts is really? when they say oh i know soldier stuff it's sort of like when it's sort of like the way that they treat computer stuff in this <laughs> it is. you know it, it, but but by the late 90s there still were plenty of people in the audience who didn't really know computers beyond uh, logging on to AOL and I, one would hope that most people were familiar at least with the concept of servicemen and just to say, oh, I know soldier stuff, therefore I can procure you a bazooka, is <laughs> the, the most bizarre leap of logic. It is bizarre. My point is more that I like that Xander had things that he that he was that showed he was capable of doing something and therefore could help. Because right, right. before Instead that, of tagging along, he is less helpful. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly. He no right. longer spends all of his time mooning after Buffy and that's a bad yeah uh, getting in the way when she's trying to fight vampires yeah i'm the the romantic triangle aspects just i didn't care for any of it it was gross it it is definitely in the background more this season no he gets he gets over i mean that's the nice thing about about xander and cordelia and there's another triangle there with xander and cordelia and and willow and then oz comes in and there's all, all of that that quadrangle kind of thing going on but i much prefer xander with Cordelia and questions about Willow than I do Xander mooning endlessly over Buffy because in season one like my memory is liking Xander as a character in season one and early season two I hate him because he's just a jerk (laughs) and he can't just treat Buffy as a friend and get over it and and then it takes a little while and then by the end of the second season I'm like oh okay Xander is less annoying now now I don't hate Xander like I did last season I like him with I like him with Cordelia because I like Cordelia, and they're all really mean to her. I, they are. But although she takes it, um, that one of the things I kind of like is that Cordelia, um, I, I look at Chris McCart- Carpenter's reaction to some of the really mean things that especially Buffy and Willow say to her, and the the way she plays it is very much like, yeah, that rolls off my back, like... This is this is basic stuff. I, I get all of this all the time, and it doesn't bother me, which is, uh, I like yeah, that. because I'm 35, and I've outgrown yeah, that. That's true, that's true. <laughs> but why, why did the We Hate Cordelia Club need a treasurer? <laughs> well, they were going to make banners, and so there, was, there, were, there were dues. That's right. All right. Now, it seems like they didn't know what to fill in the time that was previously spent with Xander mooning after Buffy, so they just filled it in with close-ups of people kissing for like 10 minutes <laughs> there's an enormous amount of this series that is of this season of this series that is just spent zoomed in on two people kissing well it's I, the wb it was the style of the time onions on the belt kissing in the stacks I, it's it's weird though if you once you notice it it's hard not to, <laughs> to not to be kind of annoyed by it 
Because the whole the whole episode just goes away for a little while while we get to watch Angel and Buffy or Xander and Cordelia uh, smashing their faces together. And it's like, did this really have to last this long? I think we got the point. I think it, maybe it did. I don't know. Uh, let, can, can we talk about Angel? Because this is this is Steve mentioned it earlier, and I want to mention it now. The the uh, the Angelus as a character, and I like I like the spinoff. I think David Boreanaz did a very good job with Angel later on um but i totally prefer when he's not just pining over buffy and that that puppy puppy kind of look uh, i totally prefer evil angel i feel like making angel evil so that when he does come back spoiler for season three of buffy he comes back um <gasps> the, that, spoilers come on there's a whole spinoff steve <laughs> it's part of his contract with the lords of television it's only been 20 years he can't be off television for more than three no, months he can't he's ever. back on and david boreana is, <laughs> is gonna is gonna be on a show until the day he dies which will be like 50 years from now that is how that works um anyway so i i watching this back it was like this is really the right thing to do with this character is to is to give the actor more to do and the story goes that when joss whedon saw david boreana playing evil angel he was like oh wow he is a good actor because up until that point he was just <laughs> you know mr pretty pretty boy uh pining over buffy and then when yeah. he's evil it's like oh okay we got something here and then i think after this angel's a much more interesting character so what does everybody think about evil and jealous latin latin it's evil i always forget about like the origin episode where we learn um how he came to sunnydale <laughs> I forget that the creepy stalking begins before Buffy even meets him for the first time. It's like, hey, we're going to go stalk this girl and you're going to see if you want to help her. And then you're going to continue to stalk her for a while. It's the unnecessary retcon (laughs) where they're like, we're going to this is like the movie, but it's not the movie. And there's this guy who isn't Donald Donald Sutherland, Sutherland. but he's like him. And it's all done by the by Whistler, who we never see again, who's played by the guy from Homicide Life on the Street, who I think was supposed to be the same character as the guy, the guy who's in the first season of Angel. But I think they didn't like the actor. Yeah. um, Which is fine because I don't think his performance is any good. But still, it's 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 so that whole thing is so weird where it's like, look, this is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Shh, let's watch. <laughs> it's like, all right. OK, we're going to stalk her for her, a while. Her hair in that episode in the, the early scenes is very <laughs> unlikely as well. I mean, that's no more unlikely than what Christy Swanson actually was wearing in the movie. But once he once he turns bad, I mean, and let's let's just say it right now. Like one of one of my favorite things about Buffy is the fact that it is doing these um it is taking actual events from people's young life and making adding that layer of metaphor on it and there is no better example in all of buffy than the fact that buffy finally sleeps with angel and when she sees him next he's totally a different person because he's totally a different person and she is (laughs) disgusted and feels terrible about herself and he insults her and all of these things it's like wow once i slept with him he turned into this totally awful different guy and it's like that is that is it's so again evil angel soul evaporates gypsy curse and all of that but also just the way that it's played it's so brilliant it's so great that Mm -hmm. scene is the peak of this season for me 
um, largely based on the performance of Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh man, who, yeah. pl- who plays the the betrayal and just the outrage of what's going on so perfectly. Um, Boreanaz is very good here too. I mean, he he nails the you know. Well, I got what I wanted, so tough tough noogies you were but, great uh, that's the line that, that <laughs> oh, kills me every time no 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 you were it's great rough. it's actually a rough it's kind of a rough it's hard watch. to watch it is yeah, it's it's it, it. you you can feel her being punctured by his words you can see yep. her mm-hmm. flinching it's 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 a great scene i think the problem i have with it is it works better for me as an allegory for what it's trying to represent, for representing the idea that once you sleep with someone, they they become a different person. That all makes sense. But then when you take it into the fantasy world and you have this convoluted backstory about the uh, this curse that somehow is going to punish <laughs> the demon by removing the human element, yeah. which is the only <laughs> thing that is causing him torment, uh-huh. it makes absolutely no sense. Yep. And 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 poor Vincent Chiavelli playing Miss uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Calendar's uncle yeah. is really really trying to sell it as best he can, but it's like even he doesn't seem to be buying this whole this whole genius plan that they have. Of, like, <laughs> See, once he's happy, then the curse is over and he can go back to being evil. Really, this is a poorly thought out curse. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. I love the scenes. I love the storyline. Every time I watch it, I do think to myself, now why? Why would that be the thing that you... I mean, why Why didn't they give him another soul when, like, like <laughs> one soul wasn't good, wasn't uh, bad enough for you? <laughs> Here's another two. soul. Sucker. <laughs> Try it I'm now. I say, I'm kind of not crazy about the casual racism of just the whole gypsy curse backstory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're trying to, they're trying to wrap it in fantasy trappings, right? Where it's like, well, they were the, you know, they were the tribe and they were, and they, they, he killed their, their daughters. And so they, they cursed him and they're, they're wrapping it in that. Um, I do like that Jenny, you know, Jenny feels the burden of her past. And I, I think Jenny, I love Jenny Calendar. Her ridiculous last name makes a lot more sense. Now Doesn't that you it? Know that it's not real. Doesn't it? Right? It's like, well, what does it sound like? Uh, calendar. Sure. That's it. Y- Yana Kalendash or whatever it is. Like Jenny Calendar. We'll just say Jenny Calendar. It's weird that her tombstone said Jenny Calendar on it. You'd think she could drop the facade at some point. <laughs> There's also a moment where uh, Cordelia chases after a black character and asks if her hair is real. And I was like, oh, (laughs) no, Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of supposed to be Cordelia, though, right? I mean, she's she's (laughs) kind of awful and oblivious. but mm, it just heightens that a little more than it did at the time well this is as as um i i was reading about this season and uh and the rest of the series and um we'll just mention so kendra the vampire slayer it turns out that when buffy died a vampire slayer died, died, it's kendra <laughs> the vampire slayer uh her accent is so bad it's it's like irish at some points in some it's, it's supposed so to be jamaican at some points it's more irish than david boreanaz's irish accent which is very weird bro <laughs> that's really saying something no wonder you died there danny boy they're always <laughs> after your lucky charms i am kendra the vampire slayer <laughs> i calls it mr pinty but the point the point is that Kendra is the longest running African American character on the show and she's in four episodes. Oh my god, really? It's oh, her wow. and Mr. Trick. Um that's rough. and that and that's about oh, I it. I love Mr. Trick. I like Mr. Trick too, but again, and there's Robin, I guess, the principal in the in the 7th season. 
Um, and that mm. and that's that's it for black characters in Buffy, pretty much. So it, it is a very white show. There's no doubt about it. It is a WB pretty white people '90s show. Lots of things I love about yeah, it. Because the Wayans Brothers Network never had African Americans on. Well, it. not on their Pretty People. This is a Dawson's <laughs> Creek level uh, Pretty People uh, kind of uh, kind of show that they that they did back then too. Pretty White People show. Yeah, the DVD has some vintage promos that they aired oh, on the no, WB at the time, and it's it's say no. hysterically funny. <laughs> Just, yeah. No. Oh no. Um, I really like. Uh, the idea of Kendra where they're just another vampire slayer shows up and, and in what's my line. So uh, the, the core sort of mid season set is what's my line parts one and two. There's a career fair going on. And of course the parallel here is Buffy's wondering, am I going to be anything but the slayer? And then another slayer shows up, which allows her to say, maybe I don't need to do this with the rest of my life. Um, because she yes, died it briefly. Does somewhat put the lie to the whole into every generation a slayer is born thing, though. Oh, the Watchers don't know what they're talking no. about. We learned that pretty <laughs> conclusively throughout this series. No, the Watchers are an organization one devoted to all the world. supporting the Watcher, the one slayer. Well, they didn't have CPR also, they tried before, to kill, but she did die. They she tried die, to yeah. kill her on her 18th birthday, and they won't help her out with rent. Those guys are jerks. I got no time for them. If Buffy's momentary death. Uh, it triggered Kendra's uh, calling as a slayer. Why didn't they just like have like a, a controlled coma? You know, the, the watchers <laughs> could get them together. They could keep doing that. They could just build up a big army of these yeah, uh, slayers. You, you know, they, I think the watchers aren't very good at their jobs. Again, they're yeah. very sh- very short generations. Is is the yeah. works. <laughs> I think they they actually addressed that at some point, and they were like, "It's just more catchy than saying a slayer every once every couple of years till the next one dies." You know. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I found disappointing about Kendra, and I found this disappointing about a lot of things this season, um, is that she's there. She shows up in "What's My Line," and then we see her one more time at the end, and she dies. And I really like that character. I like the idea of the two of them teaming up once or twice. I know, right? But. But that little, I mean, that, 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 uh, the possibilities there are just gone, you know? And the same is true of when we discover that, uh, Rupert is actually Ripper to some mm-hmm. people. And then two episodes later, they explain all that and it's no longer this cool mystery. So I got kind of excited. I was like, oh, good. Uh, Rupert has a dark side and we'll probably hear about it. Uh, it'll unravel slowly over the next couple of episodes. And <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. Two episodes it's later. Not that kind of show. Not that it's kind all of explained show. and it's all done. And, and I think it, I'm not sure whether they knew they had a season three at some point in the midst of this or, or what the situation was. I guess it was early days for the WB. So maybe they had no idea whether they'd get to tell these stories over a more lengthy period or whether the network would even still be there the next year. I think there's this desire for standalones, too, because look. Looking at it, the yeah. core, because when I was telling people uh, on this podcast sort of what episodes they should watch or rewatch, um, it's 22 episode season. There are only eight episodes that are arguably about the main plot. Almost everything right. else is just a standalone episode. There are, there's, there are trappings. There are little things to move it along. So in some of the later episodes, they're like, oh man, it sure sucks that Angel's evil, huh? Okay, now Xander is joining the swim team. <laughs> or, whatever, right? or, oh, there's a creepy monster at the hospital. Ooh. But uh, in the end, it's not about, or there's, or there's a, uh, uh, there, there's a weird uh, murder-suicide ghost thing going on at the Sadie Hawkins yeah. dance. These are all, right? But, but um, and Angel's in but, that, and he there's evil. no reason they couldn't throw in, you know, little little bits and pieces of the unfolding of why he's called Ripper or, you know, maybe have Kendra pop up once or twice between 
episode 10 and episode 22. I think they agreed with you once the season was over because Kendra's replacement does get a lot more screen time. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. They, they didn't plan to Kendra coming back. And then when they were writing the finale, they're like, oh, let's have Kendra come back. So we're like, all right, let's do that. And, it, well, and as you noted, when we talked about this earlier, even the evil angel arc, which is arguably the best thing in the series. Yeah. Is is what eight episodes it's, long? It's so short. This is the thing: is to, in my mind, season two is all about Angel turning bad, and there is almost nothing. He is he is bad and active for a handful of episodes, and then it's resolved. Like really, if you can go surprise and innocence, and then passion, and then you go to the end, and that's about it for the story right. of Evil Angel. There's five he six makes an episodes. appearance for about. 30 seconds in the intervening episodes and yeah, says well, something and he's mean. possessed and I only have eyes for you which is kind of that telling that, that sort of sad moment where he's evil but then when they're possessed by the, the, the boyfriend and the girlfriend they're they act like they're romantically attached and then they're not possessed anymore but yeah, um, I like that bit that's, it's, that's a good it's, moment it's, it's, it's a nice nice bit but it, it happens so quickly and I think this is looking at our modern sensibilities here that is one of the challenges i have with this is that it is so standalone focused and i like how they're trying to tell an overarching story i mean to their credit they had eight episodes telling an overarching story out of 22 back in like star trek the next generation right there were none like literally there would just be (laughs) episodes and they're like no no a third of our episodes will be about the ongoing story but that's it well uh, the the reality of all scripted TV is that you have to do shows that work with the actors you have on hand, and all these characters are coming in and, and leaving, and presumably all these characters were trying to get you know better paying jobs elsewhere i have a feeling they weren't getting paid that much to be on buffy uh, season two but i but while that's the while that's true for all tv i think that um the buffy going into angel i have never watched a series of tv in tv that has suffered more over time from the fact that actors got called away on other projects or got into a fight with Joss Whedon or something like that. There are so many times where a character is introduced and then bam, forget this where we're done. I really like the standalone nature of Buffy though, like regardless of what ever casting problems caused it. Cause I feel like most of the TV that I watch now is kind of Netflix style, like, um, like an eight episode season. That's one overarching story. I just watched Stranger Things. Um, and <laughs> it's great, but at, like, there's no mm. distinction between episodes for me, whether, whereas with Buffy, like I went back to it and each episode tells its own story. And like, I can go back and like pick out individual episodes and like relive certain moments and just enjoy everything on its own merit, which I think is really cool. I totally agree. And I also, I really like the Monster of the Week episodes just as sort of like a break from the overarching uh, story episodes. <laughs> because uh, uh, obviously there's some disagreement out there. but <laughs> Or a zombie. <laughs> Me personally, I, I, I like having a, kind of a more episodic feel to things where, you know, the, the overarching story is going on there, but we also have this this other stuff that happens that's sort of amusing. And I feel like I would I would get somewhat bored if the entire thing was all the the season arc 
Now, that said, uh, there's no reason they had to kill Kendra at the end of the season, for instance. I mean, they could have had her hang on until season three, and then we could have gotten some of and that. And her work. leaving doesn't make any sense. It's literally, well, yeah. we only signed you as a guest star for two episodes, so goodbye. When it's like, yeah. but the Hellmouth, is, but, you know, Hellmouth, yeah. <laughs> we this need you. This is where you. all the important things in the world Angel happen. Angel just turned evil. We could really use two Slayers. No, no. Go back to Jamaica. <laughs> It'll be fine. It doesn't... I, I agree with you in terms of good stand standalones it always comes down to that is like the good standalones i'm like oh this is really great and the bad ones you're like oh, okay xana joined the swim team <laughs> hey i like the swim team episode you seem though, really but... mad at that swim team I, I i don't know that's a that's kind of a dumb episode but like passion which is a standalone passion is one of my favorite episodes of buffy standalone episode that is also in the arc it's the one where angel kills jenny um but the way it's told where it's got the narration where angel is like reading his like uh let me tell you about passion and why it's important and all of that is in the in, in the voice voiceover at the beginning and the end and i love that episode and it is that to me that's like it, it it is part of the arc but it also feels like a standalone episode that is telling its own story and has its own beginning middle and end and it's tragic and it's awful and it furthers the arc but it's also something you can watch and appreciate on its own and yeah. uh I can go back and forth. Elaine, you were making noises about uh, standalone episodes. I want to hear from you. I, I'm looking at like my notes for Inca Mummy Girl and Reptile Boy. Yeah. And these more standalone episodes. And they're like, not my favorite episode. The Man. titles. Um, I, I just, they're, they're not my favorite. I really liked, I do like Ted once I can kind of look as much as anyone can look past, you know, the child abuse aspects of that. Yeah. Um, but, but most of the monster of the week type episodes, I don't really enjoy. And I feel like this was kind of a through line for season one. When I watched two, I didn't really like the, the monster of the week episodes and I didn't like the Xander episodes, which is also true for season two. Bewitched, bothered Poor and bewildered. Xander. Oh, different strokes. <laughs> I want to put in a good word for reptile boy, just because the, the, college seniors the, i actually think that's one of the scarier episodes in the season mainly because the frat boys drugging high school girls bit is really disturbing mm-hmm. that episode actually gets less scary and interesting as soon as the supernatural element turns up but the build-up before you know what's going on that's a really good creepy episode yeah i was gonna put in a plus one on reptile boy um and i think that one of the things that i about this, you know, arc versus episode, you know, standalone episodes is, I I mean, I only watched these shows if I was at home and they were on. And so I'm pretty yeah. sure the first show I ever saw was Some Assembly Required, which is a Xander episode, uh, I think, or no, that's a different one. But anyway, one where... It made perfect sense to me, even though I didn't know anything about all the characters, um, you know, that there were just kids had this crazy idea of building a woman, to, you know, out of parts. A, Frank, of dead a Frankenstein woman. woman yeah. Frank right. You know, it just it, it made sense on its own. I remember I saw Reptile Boy um, at the time and felt it was scary. And that problem with, with the arc um, episodes like it's great to watch them now um, where we can just sit down and watch a whole bunch of them in a row but when these came out 20 years ago mm. that was unlikely to happen unless you were like really into 
taping things on VCR. And I, you know, I was, I, 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 I didn't was. have the, it just wasn't me, yeah. you know, like I, I, because I didn't expect to need to, the, I, I didn't expect that if I missed an episode, I'd be done with the show because I'd have no idea. That's why, that's why it's daring that the story arc is in a third of the episodes, right? Because you could argue yeah. that in this era, that was something you probably shouldn't do. But that they were trying yeah. to push it because they wanted everything to be just like you can just drift in one night on Tuesday night and watch an episode and be like, oh, yeah, in this one, it's Halloween and there are weird costumes that make people turn into what their costumes are. And then you can just enjoy it and then leave and not watch another one for a month. Does does that balance change in later seasons once they would built an audience? I'm just curious. Yes. I think it does. Because yeah, I think it does. But by the time Buffy is whining about being ba- brought back from the dead and how she has to get a part-time job, I feel like that takes over the season. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Even when she's in college, it, it, it's uh, much more of a straight-through line. What I thought was funny was like late in the season when there was that episode Killed by Death, which I completely for- forgotten about until yeah. I rewatched this, that, yeah. that that's a standalone episode that in some ways felt to me like it was... Um, they were rehearsing for hush or something like that with that they were trying to go for something a lot creepier i don't know that they succeeded but they were at least trying and then they realized oh geez and angelus would probably take advantage of buffy being sick so he shows up in the hospital it's sort of like the arc is intruding on the monster of the week story and they come up with some sort of there's a standoff between Angelus and uh and Xander it just feels completely wrong to me I feel like he would have gone for it he would have he would have broken in there and killed everyone yeah right but they they wanted to do like they assigned a standalone episode out and then figured out how to navigate it into the (laughs) continuity just enough and I think that yeah I think that struggle does exist and when it goes well it's I only have eyes for you where the fact that Angel is at odds with Buffy and that they are possessed by lovers is creepy and like oh yes they they do have this attraction but now he's evil but now they're possessed um when it doesn't work it it feels like killed by death it feels shoehorned in there and i would argue bewitched bothered and bewildered which is a wacky comedy episode um until it turns horribly wrong but it's still a wacky comedy episode and after angel is evil i like i like that episode i think it's funny but um boy tone wise it's like angel's evil but uh wackiness it's like uh, really (laughs) yeah that's the episode where i wrote down as my first note having more angel fights kind of trivializes him a little i think at that point they'd shoehorned him in to so many episodes where he wasn't really the focus that i was like you know i liked how awful he was when he was just this you know this figure that came in and said evil things and turned the knife deeper into buffy every time he showed up yeah but every, when he's popping up all the time and getting punched in the face and punching people back and then he runs away it's like eh, i'm losing the, the thread here on angel we haven't talked about oz yeah oz <laughs> speaking oh. of great you know new characters and uh um episodes that are kind of standalone but start a thread like uh um phases yeah um, phases with- phases where where he becomes a werewolf and there's that great line that i will always remember which is hey is he a werewolf how- is jordy cousin jordy a werewolf <laughs> and how long has that been going on it's the best thing that kills me how long has that been going on like all right it's well. so matter of fact <laughs> uh, yeah you could yeah. miss that and the the way he meets where they're they're in the in the um he meets willow and they're at the job fair um and he's he's uh, offering her uh, canapes at one point. It's like I, I love 
uh, that Oz says is a man of few words. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's it's that like everything he says is really funny, but he says almost nothing. That's um, it's a lot of a lot of a lot of fun. That character. He also, I think, he plays sort of a parallel role to Spike on the evil side of the one mm-hmm. who kind of just says. Wait a second. He says, oh, do, do, your, do your friends break into army uh, military supplies right. very often? Quippy uh, <laughs> observer of what's going on. You got to have those on both sides, right? I do like... I, I love Oz. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel... I, every time I see him, I feel bad because he his storyline doesn't end well because my understanding is Seth Green wanted to be in movies and so they just wrote him out perfunctorily. But while he's there, he's great. He is. He's a... Uh, a great addition and and really the first addition to the Scooby gang where he gets dropped in and gets to learn what's going on. And he kind of like just kind of takes it all. He's like, all right, again, how long has this been going on with the werewolf? Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I think he counterbalances. I, I, I would feel really differently about the whole Xander Cordelia Willow triangle if Oz wasn't present, I feel like the Oz presence thing, then it's like, okay, Xander and Willow have been buddies forever. And there's a will they or won't they kind of connection between them. That is sometimes on one side and sometimes on the other. But in this season, they both are in relationships with other people. And that I I liked that, that it's like, all right, this is not going to be, it's still weird, but like that, that moment where they're getting the military stuff and 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 willow says i i can get oz will use his van and so it's like all four of them are there and it's kind of awkward but also kind of like they're all they all know that they got to do their job and you know this is for the greater good and even though it's awkward we're just going to kind of go with it and i like that I, I every time i appreciate that every time that that it's awkward but they're all doing their job plus you can only see willow get dumped on so many times before oh, you start to really hate xander i know right and, and i don't want to hate xander but the the way that that willow um gets treated by him is it just it's awful and i love willow that's the thing is willow despite the oshkoshes right i mean like willow is so great and is so mistreated by everyone the costuming xander right (laughs) and then and then there's oz even the crew treats her poorly i know and there's and then there's oz (laughs) and then everything's gonna be okay for willow he's one of my favorite characters in the whole show and i think that he and willow are just so wonderful together and then there's also just this really great scene in bewitched bothered and bewildered when um xander's like the love style has been cast and everyone's obsessed with xander and then oz just shows up and punches him in the face (laughs) it was like i listened to willow cry about you and i was left with a strong urge to hit you (laughs) and then he just helps him get up and is like okay what are we doing now (laughs) that's over and done with yep yep i wish i had an oz in my life (laughs) this season you can see that after season one, when they got renewed, and they're like, really? We got renewed? Okay. Because <laughs> clearly they had no intention of being renewed. Um, they wrote like every horror trope they could on a whiteboard somewhere. Uh, because yeah, because you can see it. We got werewolves. We got Frankensteins. We got mummies. In a sense, you've got the creature from the Black <laughs> right. Lagoon and the swim team. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And the ghosts and yeah, everything. Yeah. Crossed off giant praying mantises in season one, though. That's true. <laughs> But eggs, eggs yeah, in yeah, season two. Yeah. Creepy yeah. little arthropods and bad eggs. Yeah, exactly right. Um, what other 
episodes that we haven't mentioned uh should we mention halloween's come up a couple of times i really like that episode i feel like it's it's one of the show's early examples of we're going to reveal truths about our characters through magic that i like where it's like this is stuff that is um more revealing of who they are as people than anyone would like um that i kind of like and it and we get two episodes including that one with ethan rain uh as ripper old ripper giles's school pal um who i like a lot robin Sachs as ethan rain um the so that's a good one halloween the thing that bothers me about halloween it's one of my favorite episodes like across the entire series there is one thing that bugs me and that is that buffy really pressures willow into wearing a costume willow doesn't want to wear i know and and i'm like buffy what are you doing like this is this is not okay um and i feel really bad for for willow in that instance because yes the costume department did really do some bad things with her um but also just like i don't know that's not a good friendship let's 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 be good friends (laughs) well i think she thinks she's doing the right thing there and i think she thinks that willow you know needs to be taken out of her shell a little bit and she considers that being sort of a, uh, having once been kind of a closed person herself in her past life, she thinks that might be the way to do it. I mean, obviously it's not the best way to go about that, but I, I, I don't think she's coming from a, a malicious place there in that episode. And Willow does. No, but it's like. I, I've been through that. I actually had, I had a friend of mine who was like, oh, we're going to, we're going to get you, uh, I'm going to take you shopping and we're going to get you nicer clothes. And I'm like, okay. And then I had that exact same thing, which is, you know what? I think I would rather literally wear a sheet over my head. <laughs> So I get, I get it, but but I get what yeah. you mean, Aline. It's like it's not that I can say. I think the episode agrees with you. It's that Buffy is portrayed and as this is. I think the show has a challenge with that, right? Like, who is Buffy? Like, they want her to not just be completely maniacally focused on her job as the slayer right they always want buffy to be unusual in that like as kendra points out she has a life she has friends she has interests and so this is i think it is exa- more than one shirt yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> that was my only shirt that's my favorite shirt that's my only shirt oh i love kendra so bad oh um <laughs> What is what wrong with her watcher? That's anyway, I uh, Kendra's watcher. They, they have such different experiences. Like Buffy does what she wants within reason. And Kendra's life is very cloistered. Yeah. And it's just like, why don't they give you more than one shirt? Like, can we have a conversation about? But I do think that that is their attempt to get that in. That's why she dresses Willow, right? Is they're trying to say, oh, well, this is the other side of Buffy. This is what makes her unusual. But it does come across as she's kind of pushing Willow into uncomfortable places. But then again, Willow's reaction is, I'm just going to be a ghost and put a sheet over my head. And then. And it's the worst ghost it's costume, so too. It's like the equivalent of the Oshkosh Bagash overalls so bad. in a costume form. But then she fit, like phases out of it and is stuck wearing the other costume the rest of the night, which is funny. Because she's like, oh boy, okay. Yeah, what's one thing that's kind of weird about this series that's unlike season one is, although this this season is set in a high school, it doesn't feel like they're ever actually in high school in this season, or at least there's very little of that. High school? What's that? <laughs> yeah, in the first season, there was a lot more of sort of interactions between various other students. Uh, mm. You know, there's a lot more of uh, of Cordelia's little posse of awful people. 
and uh, yep. you know there the was Xander's friend Jesse in the first episode or two, and it, it does it feels a lot more like they're actually in a high school, and in this one they're they're filming this show in front of a high school. <laughs> In theory, there are high school things going on, but there's very little of that actual, you know, high school experience. There was a delightful moment, and I can't remember what episode it's in, but there's that delightful moment where they're having a very dramatic discussion of how to kill people, uh, monster people, in the library. And three students, including Jonathan, who will be back in many other episodes, mm-hmm. walk in and they like it. And Xander yells at them and is like, what are you doing in here? Get out. And and Giles has to point out, this is a school library. <laughs> and then and then he points to them at where they need to go and they can't find the book they're looking for. And at the end of the scene, they emerge from the stack saying, Mr. Giles, and they're gone because they've all gone outside somewhere to talk about who to kill. And I love that moment because it is the show saying, yeah, by the way, there is a school here, but we don't care. <laughs> they also are very unconcerned about such things that exist in the real world, such as museums guards and cemetery caretakers yeah. that's true uh, principal snyder does uh, emerge at many points to threaten B- buffy with suspension or expulsion which is he does which, which leads to is it school hard where they get they get, get all stuck together and he and and he's like no 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 it's all fine and the guy tries to cl- uh, climb out the window and is horribly right. murdered and yep. <laughs> snyder's like let's stay here with to buffy's mom that's that i like that yeah snyder can we talk about Armin Shimmerman oh, for a man. second because <laughs> I love TV's him quirk. in this role. I love him in everything, but I love him in this role. He's great. He's so seething with contempt. Like at the, at the end when he expels Buffy in Becoming Part Two, where he's like, mm-hmm. "I gotta, I gotta take my time here." You're expelled. <laughs> it such, it's just amazing. He's so. But he, he very much underplays that line too. He doesn't go. You're expelled. No. He's just like you're expelled. Like he's he's running it over his tongue mm-hmm. and he likes the taste of it. Just the pleasure of it. The sheer pleasure of expelling a student. It's fantastic. No, oh, he's great. And he was splitting time with Deep Space Nine. He would like literally just come over for a day and do the Snyder stuff and then go back to Deep Space Nine. But uh, he is so he's so great. He's so hateful and awful and at the very end uh leads us into season three by taking a call or calling the mayor and saying it's taken care of well i do like that uh that early on in school hard they that was right around the point where i was going uh yeah it's kind of starting to get a little ridiculous how oblivious the cops in this town are and the fact that they haven't noticed that people are dying all around them and and then they actually reveal in that one that you know you don't want to put out the real story do you Nope. Yeah. Let's go with uh, gangsters on PCP. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's really smart. They finally kind of nipped that concern in the bud a little bit for me. There's something else going on here that I don't know about. I thought that was pretty, pretty sharp. Yeah, it's just a demon conspiracy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like Buffy um, beating up the police people, too. The police. Yeah. Uh, the, in like case you the haven't noticed, offers. the police in Sunnydale are incredibly <laughs> They're really stupid. bad. But, right, they're really bad, and they're annoying, and they get in your way, right? And there's a lot of, like, well, we should call the police. Like, uh, Joyce says that when she finds out that, how, lo- how long have you been a vampire slayer? Maybe you could try not being a vampire slayer? That's, <laughs> that's, all, that's all happening. Um, but she's like, we can call the police. And Buffy, Buffy says, well, no. They're like, they, they aren't equipped to do this. And, and, but I really like seeing it where like literally they're going to arrest her because they think she killed Kendra and she just, you know, punches them and runs. And it's like, yeah, this is it. Because as we learned in What's My Line, Buffy is law enforcement. She is the law enforcement in this town. (laughs) These people are jokers. And then that also leads to that great moment where Spike also takes out the cop that's trying to stop her. And that's Spike's big reveal of I'm going to turn against Angel and help you defeat him, which happens in that last episode. 
Yeah, I really like that opening of becoming part two when things start to spiral out of control. I mean, I love the fact that the cops finally show up and, and make an appearance and it's clear things are not going to go well from that point onwards. I think that's that's a solid mm. opening. Yeah, like how she get, how she get, she's expelled. The cops are after her. They think they she killed Kendra. Her mom knows that she's the slayer. Mom has basically kicked her out of the house. And has kicked her out of the house. And that is how that is even with a resolution of the plot, that's how the season ends. Like what is that? That's great. Everybody's looking for her in the last scene. They don't know where she is and she's on a bus and she's gone. And it's a great, like it, it resolves. One of the things I like about Buffy seasons is they often resolve the main plot, but of course, emotionally there are all these things that are just kind of uh, left lingering until the next season. I feel like some of the most powerful moments of Buffy are when uh, problems from the everyday world encroach upon her mm. because like she's spending so much time with demons and vampires and these mystical issues and then suddenly the Sunnydale police show up and she's being I arrested know, right? and it's so jarring and yeah. like and I I that happened several times over the course of the show, something like that. And it always just knocks me off of my seat because I've forgotten that real life problems can also have a serious effect on her. And it's like, well, what is she going to do now? She's not equipped to handle this. I mean, she chooses to do it the same way she does everything else and punches them. Um, <laughs> but it just adds so much depth to the show. That's why I love that opening. Snyder's like that. The career fair is like that. These are all things where it's like suddenly it's like real life. And Buffy is like, whoa, wait a second. Real life. Like, I. I can handle demons, but now you're making me deal with reality. Like it's this extra, right. It's just out of context for what she's been dealing with. And that's why I had wished there was maybe more tension with potential guards, you know, coming upon them here and there. Mm. You know, it doesn't, doesn't have to become a big thing, but uh, it, it takes a little of that pressure off when they're just like, well, we're just going to go to the museum at two in the morning and steal this artifact and no one's going to care. So we aren't going to bother to try and even sneak into the building. I want to talk about the, the resolution of the plot of the season. But before quite just before we get there, I want to go back to uh, one of the key moments of the season, which is um, Jenny Callender being killed by Angel. The, somebody had to be killed by Angel. Apparently, it was originally going to be Oz. And they decided that they wanted to keep Oz and kill Jenny instead. But originally, it was going to be Oz who they killed. I did not know that. That's interesting. But it's wow. so effective. And what it leads to, of course, is Giles having his particular take on Angel. And, of course, Xander, who has already hated Angel from the beginning... Um, keeps trying to egg everybody on into trying to destroy Angel. And it leads to one of my favorite dynamics in the whole season, which is um, Xander trying to get everybody to kill Angel and Giles trying to slow him down because Giles has the best reason to kill Angel of anybody. And I love that Giles is the one who, I mean, they, they kidnap Giles. There is that really sad scene in Becoming where Drusilla hypnotizes him and he sees Jenny and he tells her what they need to know. It's so sad. But, but it is, that, that is one of my favorite things in this season is just the, the tragedy of Jenny dying, how Xander tries to use it to get everybody against Angel and how, how Giles has to um, grieve and try not to let it get the best of him. Um, I think it's I think it's uh, an amazing I love that episode and I think it leads to the the really heightened stakes in the finale. Yeah, I agree with you on uh, on on Rupert's reaction there. I feel like when Xander flies off the rails in becoming when they're talking about potentially restoring Angel's soul instead of killing him, I, I feel like that's a little out of character because he didn't have any particular bond with Miss Calendar. 
No, he's just and he just hates so, Angel. He's just using Miss Calendar's death as an excuse to because he hates Angel. I mean that that's why he that's why he has nothing to stand not doesn't have a a leg to stand on in making that argument because he's literally like I've always hated Angel and now I have extra reason to hate him so let's kill him but he, he would have said that anyway I feel like so it, it's yeah it's not one of Xander's it finest moments a little moments. off for me but but I agree I I love that uh, that it was that passion that episode where she where she dies killed. yeah in particular that scene at the end where Giles arrives home oh, God. and uh and the the opera is playing and Angel has left behind the rose and he's climbing the stairs the to that on the swelling stairs. opera yeah. and you already know what he's going to find but just every every step he takes up there just just ratchets up this tension you know what he's going to find when he gets there and it's just it's brilliantly suspenseful and Actually, one of the scarier things this season, she don't necessarily know if Angel's still there hanging around. Right. But then it turns out she's just there and she's dead and it's heartbreaking and it's uh, that's great. That's that's definitely a high point of the season for me. Speaking of the Sunnydale police, by the way, <laughs> they, they they we cut to it's very effective because we see him and we think we're seeing his reaction shot, but it's actually uh, we pull back and it's later and he's downstairs and the police yeah. are there and they t- and that's an interesting way that it's directed. Um, and they t- say we just got a few questions and I think. I, I again i don't think the sunnydale police are very good at their jobs and then later they go back to the crime scene and they just like take the police tape and they just like pull it off and walk into the crime scene i'm like but some murder just happened right here but you know again it's the sunnydale yeah. police they don't care you have to take take off your law and order hat <laughs> yeah. when you're watching other shows <laughs> no it's it's really it's just that moment of like it's sun, forget it it's sunnydale they don't just they don't <laughs> care Sunny nobody Dad. cares forget it i wanted to bring up uh episode one actually when she, when was, she bad. was bad because i didn't particularly like it i felt mm. like the tone was really off on this and a lot of what i liked in season one was that you know, even when there were episodes where things were relatively dark, there was always some humor, you know, in the in the background that kind of broke the tension. And it felt like this. They're trying so hard to to kind of create this darkness about Buffy. And there's very little comic relief. And it just feels wrong to me. I, I found it kind of a disappointing opening based on what I liked on the first episode. And I was like, oh, gosh, I really hope this doesn't continue because I think they've taken the wrong lessons from what was good about season one. Um, I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but I can't watch the scene where she dances with Xander. It's so painful because it's, she's just being awful and it's yeah. super awkward, but Xander is so good there. <laughs> He's, he looks so uncomfortable when she's, <laughs> yeah. he really looks like he just, he wants to crawl out of his skin and fly away somewhere. It's, it's, it's really hard to see Cordelia being nicer than Buffy, like and less petty than Buffy is. Cordelia's like giving Buffy like, look, I know what game you're playing. That's a, that's actually an yeah. amazing scene where Cordelia's like, look, I've seen this before. I know what you're doing. This is not, and she says basically, this is not you. Like this is me, but it's not you. Don't do this. Yeah. Um, right. It. I get why this episode exists. Right. This is meant to be Buffy's shock over the master and and. It, realizing that this is her she can't escape that this is her destiny i get why it's here but i i kind of agree that it is is a kind of a downer of a of an opening episode and steve i'll just say um this is you are describing a lot of season six not to get ahead of ourselves (laughs) it's kind of dark and a lot of season six where buffy once again questions her uh her the meaning of life Mm. 
But on the plus side, Chibo Mato at the bronze. I know, right? <laughs> and it's really kind of weird because that that was the point at which Sean Lennon was in the band. Uh-huh. And I, the first thing that I thought of the first time I saw the the kid who plays the anointed one is that kid reminds me a lot of Sean Lennon. So it's a little weird <laughs> to see him in the same episode. The bronze itself, I have to say, like, <laughs> is the character, you know, that I'm like, God. Perhaps did- the most unlikely character in the entire season. <laughs> Was there ever a place that cool for underage, like high school kids? Like, no, the, is no. everything like a a, a club, um, but with no alcohol and just you know? I, every time they go in there, I'm like, man, I wish we had a bronze. Maybe they go there to study. I I know she goes there to cram for her French final. Study dance uh, and live music. And vampire and attacks and coffee yeah. and coffee. Yeah. The bronze is what you want it to be. Nobody has any parents in this peanuts-like town, so <laughs> it's really not a problem if you want to just take off and go to the bronze. Oh, I, I also wanted to note that Joyce is again awful this season, as she was in season one. Uh, yeah, she's the worst. I'm. She it's a, it's a tough part because by having her not be aware of Buffy's. Uh, actual life what's the what's the her role her role is essentially to complain about mundane things yeah. while buffy knows that there are more important things and it's thankless it's thankless it is extremely it, it, thankless. it is helped by the fact that at the end of the season buffy reveals to her finally that she is the vampire slayer and joyce is way better from here on out as my as i recall yeah now that joyce i do yeah. like her clocking spike with an axe though. oh That's man <laughs> and the callback to that where she says i have, love have that. we met and he says yeah you hit me with an axe <laughs> get away from my daughter (laughs) (laughs) that scene in particular is hilarious they're sitting there uncomfortably sizing each other up because spike looks as uncomfortable there as she does that's what if not more so yeah (laughs) she she just feels like the most un like realistic character of them all because she just seems to have no no compassion for buffy um and is always grounding her and and sniping at her and all that and that that could have been they could have done more with that i think especially in ted i think that's the episode that i that i keep going back to she's like mom he hit me mom he threatened me and she's like and i was like i just she was under the mini pizza drug uh that's true that is true she actually has an excuse in ted but anyway it is super heartbreaking um with joyce at the last scene with her in it where she effectively kicks Buffy out of the house. I know. And this mm-hmm. is something that was really hard for me to watch this time around. Because like I mentioned before, when I watched this um, series for the first time, I was 12 years old. And so like everything that Buffy was going through seemed like it was like, oh, here's this like cool older person who can totally handle everything, um, having adventures and watching it now. And now I'm older than like Buffy is supposed to be in this show. And I'm like, Oh my God, she's getting kicked out of school and her home and all of these things. And I like couldn't even come close to handling that, let alone the apocalypse that's happening. Um, and it, it just carried so much more weight with me this time. And it was pretty hard to watch. When I watched this the first time, I was in my 20s and I identified with the students. I have to say that there is that moment where Joyce kicks her out of the house, where now as a parent, I look at that and I really appreciate 
uh, Christine Sutherland's performance in that scene because you can yeah. see it on her face when she says, "If you walk out of here, don't bother coming back." She is. It is her last card to play, where she is trying to because she thinks horrible things. She does not understand what is going on with her daughter. Her daughter's life has spun completely out of her control, and that is her last card of like, "I need to get this under control. I need to do anything possible to stay in the house." She goes all in on that, and Buffy walks away, and you can see it on her. Her face when Buffy chooses to walk away that she has made a horrible mistake she should never have said it and what is she going to do now and it's all there in that performance and I never really yeah. noticed it, it before but it is as as a parent of uh of high school child high school daughter now I see what Christine Sutherland was putting into that and she regrets it immediately but it's too late she said it yep yep and then she finds the letter later, and, and it's all confirmed. Oh, and that's that's silent, and her, her performance there with her, just her facial expression, the way she does it, where you can see her reading it, and then she just is like, what have I done? It's all over her face. It's it's very good. Very good Joy I gotta stuff. say, I think she plays that character quite well, as awful as that character can be at times. I, I it, it works for me. Her performance, she's given Bupkis to do, to be honest, yeah. other than, you know, be the kind of annoying figure that pops in from time to time and, and, and is a complication. She's Aunt May. This is, you know, Joss Whedon has said it. Buffy is is his take on Spider-Man. Um, you know, you've got to have Aunt May who doesn't understand that you're not that you're Spider-Man. You've got to have school, troubles at school with Snyder. Like, Snyder's a perfect uh, analog of of the people at, at Peter Parker's school in the early Spider-Man days and all that. That's what he's trying to do here. But Aunt May is a totally thankless character, and that is what yeah. Joyce is is uh, and that's why it's so great that she gets she just Buffy comes out as the slayer at the end of the season is like look mom vampire slayer this he's a vampire that guy's a vampire the guy that turned into dust is a vampire I'm the vampire slayer I gotta go save the world but it really is a pity that they didn't find more to do with her because I think she could have pulled it off fairly well I mean there there are little bits and pieces here and there where she's she's talking to the husband and Neither of them is really sure what to do with Buffy, mm. and they're, they. It, it seems like if they had pushed that a little farther, that that character could have been something good, as opposed to just kind of an irritant. Because I, I think she does she <laughs> does do a wonderful job of making that uh, that last bit when she gets kicked out of the house truly tragic. In fact, that leads to what I think is probably the funniest thing in the whole season, which is after the credits roll at the end of Becoming Part 2, when they show the mutant enemy logo, and instead of saying, grr, arg, he says, oh, I need a hug. Yep. <laughs> yep. I laughed and laughed about that. I went back and watched it a couple of times. I need a hug. Oh, I need a mm-hmm. hug. <laughs> Because I did need a hug. I mean, even though they didn't play the love theme from the Hulk at the end of that scene, they could have. <laughs> so Becoming Part 2, th- this is, for me, this is like the the core of what I think of when I think about Buffy, which is um, the, you know, we have Jenny Callender's yellow floppy disk with the translation of the ceremony that will uh, restore Angel's soul. And Willow is in the hospital, but she wants to do it anyway, because if they can turn Angel back to being good, then this all can end. Uh, meanwhile, Buffy is going to fight him. And we get we get lots of fights, and the fights are good, and, and the you know there's kicking and there's sword play, because they've got swords, and it's fun. Um, but of course, in the end, it is the most tragic thing possible. 
is the resolution, which is they restore Angel's soul after Angelus has opened the portal to hell. And so they've said, they set up earlier in the episode, once the portal to hell is open, this is what you need to do. You need to basically run Angel through with the sword and you can close the portal to hell. And so it leads to that. They get they get their moment where he's a little confused. Buffy, what's going on? Um, you know, they, they are reunited and she tells him to close his eyes and then she stabs good Angel through the heart in order to close the portal to hell. And it is, and then we are treated to the second most tragic thing ever, which is that effect of him getting sucked into the vortex. The Akafla, <laughs> not the best statue in the world, and he gets sucked into the vortex. But it is so just it. It is so sad and it is so I just I love how the heightened stakes it's the end of the world and in the end you know again they could have not restored his soul and then she could have just stabbed him and sent him to hell and it would have been fine but instead they restore his soul so she has to say goodbye to him and then send him to hell send the man she loves to hell yeah just and she does the tell me about the rabbits George thing oh. where she makes him close his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It it gets me every time. It is it is um, I I love it. I don't know. Everybody else it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh I was totally affected by it in spite of that vortex effect. I thought it was great. <laughs> the fact that it could overcome that effect of him getting sucked into the vortex is, is says a lot. <laughs> they put a lot of time into building to that moment and it paid off. It paid off. It was a great moment. I also just have to give a shout out to the line right before that, which is Angelus says, no weapons, no friends, no hope. Take that away. What's left? And Buffy catches his sword and says, <laughs> me. I just I started crying when she said that um, because I that line is so powerful. And I think about that sometimes when I'm sad and it's inspiring. And isn't that who who says that to her? Somebody says that to her earlier on in the episode. That's actually a callback, which I had forgotten. Uh, I think it's Whistler says something to her about how you like, have one more thing to lose. Oh, that's it. It's Whistler. That's right. That's why I forgot. I just I wish the angel had stayed dead again. Spoilers for for you know, spin-off series. Yeah. Uh, but like, um, I, I think I'd that forgotten would, and now I'm spoiled all over again. I think that it would have been so much more like lastingly poignant if that was it. Um, but instead we get to see angsty angel again. And, you know, like I like angel and I like, you know, seeing him later, but I, I just feel like it would have been more powerful. I agree. Well, that's the problem with serialized television, right? Like, the end of season five is my favorite part of the whole series. Mm-hmm. But we still got another season or two to go, <laughs> no. so let's uh, back out of that. Yep. Yeah, it's it's true. I, I like at least in season three, there is a price to be paid for Angel going, and they set it up very early on about the idea that he spent maybe a lot of time in in hell. But um, the, the only thing know. that bugged me about, you know, I, I loved this when I watched it, in real time back in in the 90s but i was kind of confused by the logistics of the whole opening closing the portal to hell through this stumpy little statue <laughs> and the thing that I, watching it through this time I, th- I thought i'm going to pay attention to what everyone says because i didn't quite catch it the first time through and 
if I recall, all that Whistler says is Angel's Blood opens the portal, Angel's Blood closes the portal. I don't, I mean, it's, could she it's have just cut like, his hand again and stuck yeah, it on could the they, portal? Yeah, I mean, it like, seems like he could have said, like, yeah, yeah, now just, just, this is going to hurt a second, Angel. Let me, let me just lance your finger here. And, uh, it, it, you know, I, I get this feeling that magic in the Buffy verse kind of serves the theme rather than any kind of logic. Yeah. And, the, and that that kind of bugs me because I think that they that they really wanted to have this grand tragic ending, but I wasn't exactly sure. It it, it kind of was like you know the end of the end of Titanic where you just like don't you think that Jack could have fit on that? They, 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 <laughs> they didn't try. They didn't even try. You know. Yeah, there could they so, could have put in some more dialogue saying, uh, the, you know, the way to close it is that you got to run it, you got to run him through with the sword, and then that'll right. close it. And they didn't do that; they just said, "Well, his blood opens it, and his blood closes it." Just to, I well, guess, not telegraph some it. implication. I mean, she is given a sword as opposed to a, a paper, you know, yeah. a, like a, a a letter opener or something. Yeah. And he does say, like, one blow solves both problems. So he sort of suggests that he needs to bleed a lot to close the portal. But but, but earlier in the season, we had what my favorite part of this, my favorite line of the whole season, is when the judge triumphantly tells Buffy, oh. no weapon ever forged can, can can kill me. And Buffy says, that was then, this is now, and pulls out a, a rocket launcher. <laughs> the, What's that do? So great. Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> great. I love that. The, the shot of her with the crossbow was great, and then they upped the ante immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I wish there were more parts like that in this uh, in this um, in this series where people said, you know, forget the forget the prophecy. Let's try something here. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately, I think by the end they were just kind of buying into everything. Yeah, it feels right. I mean, like it feels like this is the end. But you're right in terms of the setup. Did was there any bargaining? Um, but Buffy at this point is just like, uh, just let's end it. I'm going to run him through. It's so tragic. But uh, you're, I think, uh, yeah, it, it is. This is how they wanted to end it. And at some point, I guess they could have put in a line about more directly about it, but. I guess they wanted to. I really think they just didn't want to telegraph exactly what was going to happen at the end. So they 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 made it all hazy. And now we we watch it back again and again, twenty years later, and are like, "Hey, it's unclear." And they're like, "Yeah, we know." Well, if you really <laughs> want to headcanon it, maybe at that moment she realizes that she could never really trust him again because who knows how these gypsy curses work, and it might just be better to be done with him i had that thought that that there is that debate earlier about whether angel can be redeemed at this point where xander makes the point that um again we hate xander at this point but still he says you know he killed jenny (laughs) right xander is right through the entire finale (laughs) buffy could have killed angel many episodes earlier and she couldn't do it i'm gonna kick you in your vampire junk yeah. all right bye <laughs> wrinklies i believe is the correct term in vampire land <laughs> well at least that's right. what spike says yeah so so that's the argument here is that i think you can look at it and say um he's got to go right like as tragic as it is that he's back and he doesn't know the fact is angel did kill jenny calendar and he did try to bring about the end of the world and he's too dangerous to allow to live and that that is and maybe an in the end there. that's better for him than having to live with that yeah so right you know that could have all gone through her head could in that be. moment while the gigantic ridiculous looking vortex was swirling <laughs> behind him <laughs> yeah yeah and then that leads to i would argue 
on, because of Toy Story 2, only the second saddest use of a Sarah McLachlan song <laughs> in filmed entertainment. <laughs> Yes. As Buffy uh, packs, basically jumps into her house with her mother not knowing and packs up her stuff and looks at her friends from afar and gets on a bus and leaves Sunnydale, uh, never to return uh, until next season where she totally returns again. Sorry for the spoilers. There are more seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that's an odd moment there, too, because I'm looking at Joyce in that moment. I'm thinking she has a, a real Sarah McLaughlin look about her. And then that song kicks <laughs> in. I'm like, oh, my God. This season... Uh, I, I did well, and this was this is where I really started to get people I knew into Buffy, and they started watching. And with the evil angel arc, um, people really got on board. I, I introduced many of my coworkers to this show um, while this was going on, and um, I think it really caught fire uh, in terms of pop culture and in terms of uh, the WB's. Uh, take on it um, that the ratings were good enough that the third season, as we will see when we watch that, um, has a bigger budget <laughs> and looks a lot better. They started shooting it on 35 millimeter film instead of 16, which they shot the first two seasons on, uh, which is why they're super grainy and weirdly lit because they had very little money. Um, the money got better in the third season, but for my money, uh, this is still my favorite season because of the emotional arc of Angel going evil. And some of the standalone episodes are pretty great, too. But it's really the the big bad. This is a structure that they would use again, which is the big bad isn't who you think it is. So Spike and Drusilla are thought to be the big bad, but it turns out that it's actually Angelus who's behind it all. They will play this game again. But I would argue never as good as when they did it with Evil Angel, because the stakes are just so high when it's Buffy's boyfriend who turns evil. What have we not mentioned that we should talk about before we go? This is your chance. Bring out, bring out your dead. Bring out your Inca mummy <laughs> girls and your and your uh, frat boy werewolves and whatever else. I like the swim team episode. All right, I'm just going to come out and say it because it's stupid. <laughs> But it's also funny, and it's fun, and it's even got some scary bits, and the effect of uh, the skin that's left behind when the, the fish monster creeps out of them is really gross. I think it's probably my favorite Monster of the Week episode from this season. Okay. As dopey as the whole Xander element of it is, I enjoyed it, because it didn't take anything seriously. And you get to see a very young Wentworth Miller of Prison Break fame, and you get to spend the first 10 minutes of the episode going, where the hell do I know that guy from? <laughs> We mentioned how the kids look too old. Watching the show now, I am always struck with how young Giles looks. He's supposed to be the adult, but just because he has a British accent doesn't make him an adult. He looks as he looks younger than Charisma Carpenter to me. Well, that's that's totally. I mean, he's he's sixteen years older than her, but only sixteen. So <laughs> that's that's fair. It's the Tweed, and again, I'll point out that Anthony Stewart had. Um, boy, can he uh, clean off those glasses. glasses. Oh my God. <laughs> if he could polish his glasses, he wouldn't need to do it so often. <laughs> well, that's the problem is Tweed doesn't really clean. Them no, very it doesn't. Well. It, yeah, uh, it doesn't. Just moves the grease around. So Steve, this was your first time seeing this? Yeah. So what'd you think? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I thought it, I thought it opened on the wrong note with uh, the tone feeling off in the first episode. And then that being followed up by what I think is probably the worst episode of the season for me, which is yeah, Frank and Jock. Yeah. Uh, some assembly required, which 
makes no sense whatsoever, and they don't even really try <laughs> to make it make sense. Uh, but then it picked up pretty quickly, and I felt like um, while it lacked some of what I thought was the most fun about season one, I think it more than made up for it with that uh, the angel arc and uh, them trying to do something with the characters, make them a little uh, less two-dimensional. So, uh, yeah, I really dug it. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, moving on to season three. I think I may actually watch it more than a week before we do the oh, season nice. three episode. So oh, I can actually remember it. I'd like to do this, uh, you know, more often than once a year, or we're going to be here talking about Buffy for like five more years. And that's... <laughs> It'll yeah. be 30 years anniversary oh, time. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up then and, uh, and maybe agree to watch season three and come back here sooner than a year to talk about it how about that because i hear that the mayor <laughs> is interested in what's going on at sunnydale high hmm. Hmm. Yeah. i wonder what that means all right well uh until we revisit sunnydale for season three i would like to thank my panelists for joining me on this journey again through my favorite season of my favorite tv show of all time so thank you so much monty ashley thanks for being here i was totally here the whole time uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you're just quiet you're just quiet gene mcdonald thank you it was awesome. Thank you. Steve Lutz, thank you. Jason, we can do that thing anytime. I'm tired <laughs> of doing that thing. John McCoy, uh, when you leave, I'm going to play a sad Sarah McLachlan song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I choose the one? No, that's the saddest part of all. No. I'll, I'll, I'll Pick be when she loved me. It'll be weird. <laughs> what? What? Uh, Quinn Rose, no <laughs> weapon forged can kill you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a blast. And Aline Sims. It took an army. Sorry, Jason, but I'm an old-fashioned girl. I was raised to believe that men dig up the corpses and the women have the babies. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. I need a hug.